0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come and visit us now by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, that we would be imitators of this great apostle who is, of course, an imitator of you, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we arrive at some very practical verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And so uh, really the question that Paul has been asking is what does it look like to live in the world as a Christian? What does it look like to interact with one another? What does it look like to be a brother or sister to one another? Uh, what does it look like simply uh, to live with your non-believing neighbors? Which is why he says that you should, treat, um, you should not try to give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God but live peaceably with all people. And, of course, what was happening in Corinth, if you've been following along with us, is that there was some real confusion amongst the Corinthians as what Christian freedom and liberty looked like, especially how it manifested itself in the life of the church. And in defense of the Corinthians, you and I struggle with the same types of things. How do you deal with things that may not be explicit in Scripture? Thou shalt not kill, got it. Right? But what about other situations that we might find ourselves in that, that are a little bit more nuanced? Uh, I'm sure that if I polled all of you in here right now, there, there may be something uh, that you're struggling with now. Uh, how do I deal with my friend who I'm on the outs with because of the following thing? How do I get my spouse to understand uh, what uh, I'm needing uh, out of them and how I feel loved? Uh, how do I get my kids' attention? Uh, how do I raise them up in the way that they should go? Even things that the Scripture certainly hits on, uh, but doesn't maybe speak as specifically into our situation as we would like it to. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 10. And his question is this. The question is not, is something allowed? But is it for the good of God's people and does it glorify God? That's why he says in verse 24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. And then toward the end there, uh, he says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So those are the two questions. Is it beneficial to the person that we're trying to minister to or interacting with? Is it edifying to them? And secondly, does it glorify God? Now, he actually fleshes this out practically in talking about meat sacrifice to idols. And yet, I'm sure that some of you have read that and wondered, what in the world is he talking about? But really what he's trying to do is convey principles. Principles. And some things jump out at me that I'd like for us to look at this morning. The first is in verse 33. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So what does it look like to love your neighbor? What does it look like to be an edifying presence in their lives? What does it look like to build them up? Well, Jesus tells us that we ought to love our neighbors as ourselves. Which is a good rule to have, right? But the problem is, is what if your neighbor doesn't want to be loved in the same way that you would like to be loved? Like what if I got Lauren a brand new 20-gauge side-by-side shotgun? And I said, I love you. Well, I would be loving her in the way, this is just for y'all's Christmas list for me uh, coming up. Uh, but that's how I, but, but of course, that may not be the way that they want to be loved, which means you have to be in relationship with them and you have to listen to them. You have to be able to hear it out and understand how it is that that person receives love. And so it is with our neighbor. Because Jesus actually takes that golden rule and he creates the platinum rule, which he hits at this morning in the gospel reading. Greater love hath no one than this, than what? That they be willing to lay down their lives for their friends. That is a complete self-sacrificing love for the sake of one another, which Paul says in a very small way means not pressing home your advantage. Now, what does this look like in our lives to take, to press home our own advantage? Well, it's a little bit like this. Uh, One day, uh, Lauren, I grew up playing uh, tennis, and Lauren said that she would like to play tennis with me one day. And she said, but I need you to help me play tennis, and so the two-bounce rule became the three-bounce rule, and so on and so forth. Uh, but there was one point in the, ma- in the game, see, there I go, the match, uh, where she had kind of lobbed it up, and I stormed the net, and as I was about to just absolutely slam it, she yelled, but you promised! <laughs> right? I, I couldn't help myself, or even when I'm playing board games with my kids, I can't let them win. I want to press home my advantage. I mean, think about in your business dealings. I mean, even in small ways, have you ever been rung up the wrong amount where it's to your advantage, whether it's a significant amount or a light amount, and you think, well, I'm not going to say anything. Or if you've ever gone to Disney World, the intensity of waiting in line at Disney World is not to be believed. And the moment someone passes by you, it's on. (laughs) Why? I've been waiting in line, I'm here, and there's no way that I'm going to let you cut the line. It's simply not going to happen. I'm pressing home my own advantage. Tim Keller has a wonderful illustration of what this looks like. When he had a woman come in and said, I need you to explain this Christianity thing to me, because this is what happened in my office. This is Manhattan. She's not a believer, but she was working in an advertising firm on Madison Avenue and had a big account, And she made a pretty significant mistake so that it manifested itself when the pitch was being made to the clients. And the head of the company was so upset that he went to her immediate supervisor and said, what happened? How could we have blown it like that? How could we have been so off? And the man said, her supervisor said, that was my fault. It's on me the girl looked in disbelief and wondered no 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 that it was on me it was completely my fault it it was com-. and it just sat with her for a couple of days where finally she went into her supervisor's office and said what was that i mean i made this huge mistake which cost us an account and you took the blame for it when it was my mistake and he kind of hemmed and hawed about why he did it, about bettering her career and, and didn't want her to, to go out on a mistake because she surely would have been fired. And, and he had a little bit more street cred in the institution. And, and so they would, they would kind of give him some leeway. And finally she said, I don't buy any of that. Why did you do it? And finally he said, because I'm a Christian. And she said, where do you go to church? I said, I go to Redeemer. So she called up Tim Keller and had a meeting because she could not believe that someone that she worked with would actually be willing to take one on the chin for her. You see, he didn't press his advantage, did he? He saw this woman who didn't deserve it. She totally made the mistake. And yet he took it upon himself and loved her, not seeking his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So it was edifying to her. That's why he did this. And of course, it glorified God. In that, she actually began to seek him out, saying, this is something that I've never heard of. But it also... Not only for the good of the people and the glorification of God, but let's get a little bit closer to home and let me use a real-life example, which right now I really want to talk about whether to go to church on Memorial Day, but I'm not going to do it. That's going to stay on the side. But let's talk about something that might be a little bit of, a, of, a new, uh, of an issue that you can relate to. And there are three responses of how we deal with situations when we, when we encounter those that I've been talking about. One response is to go to the law, another response is to go to license, and then the final response which is rooted in the gospel is the response of liberty that Paul is talking about here. And so I have to believe that this man is thinking about this when he showed that grace and did not press his advantage home with this girl. Now, you've been invited to a big Auburn game. You've been, it's, let's just say it's at Auburn or it's at Alabama. It's the Iron Bowl, and this is going to determine the season. And uh, you, you're coming and you're talking to me and saying, hey, uh, I've got this great these great tickets, they're box seats. Jim, uh, uh, he's had them because his dad had them forever, and now he's had them. And we're going to go to this game, and it's going to be amazing. And the game's at 9 p.m. Okay, it's a, it's a late game because the TV networks are in control of everything, and that's when the Iron Bowl is going to be. And you're really excited to go. And I say something like, well, I, I guess you're going to be in church the next morning, right? Well, probably not. And so I say, hey, Jim, who you're going with, is that the same Jim that's been coming to the Advent for the past six months and uh, and became a Christian? And has is, is really shown a, a, an interest in the thing. Yeah, that's exactly it. That, that's the same Jim. And isn't this going to be a wonderful discipleship opportunity for me? To be able to go with Jim and talk to him about the Lord. Now, does the Bible say anything about whether or not you should go to the Iron Bowl? Not, I mean, if you're Auburn, there is something in Lamentations for you to read. Uh, but generally speaking, it's not, it's not in there, is it? But you see, issues start to press in on on one another. And then it turns out Jim has actually come to me and said, you know, Andrew, I really want to go to the Iron Bowl, but I know that if I go to the Iron Bowl, I'm not going to make it to church the next morning. And I'm really interested to hear what you say about chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians, where it says that a woman ought to have her head covered in church. (laughs) And the friend finds out, and Jim's sort of struggling with this, you know, I really want to go to the Iron Bowl, and it'll be so much fun, but... I don't want to miss church either. I'm this new believer. Do you see how all of a sudden it gets, it gets complicated? And so here's a couple ways that it can be responded. One, which I know that is already getting into some of our hearts, and that's the response of the law, which some people in Corinth had responded with. of I need a book that says, thou shalt not go to, ch- go to the iron ball if it means missing church. Some of y'all love that. Like, yeah, if you don't go to church, that's bad. So you really need to get rid of, uh, going to the Iron Bowl and just make a priority a priority. So that's one response. Another response is for you to say to your friend Jim, Jim, I know that you're struggling, brother, with, uh, with whether or not to go to the Iron Bowl and me to come along and, uh, and eat your, uh, hot dogs. But, um, but you know, you can always listen on the radio. You can always download the iHeartRadio app and listen to the sermon there. Or, you know what, when you're working out this week, you can just listen to Andrew's sermon on 1 Corinthians uh, 11 online. That's the response of license. And do you see what the problem with that is? That's using a wonderful gift and tool that we have uh, as an excuse to not gather with fellow believers. And I'll tell you, there's a huge difference between listening to a sermon in person and listening to one on the radio or uh, apart from the body. And there's a story of Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching in Wales, and uh, one of the other pastors was recording it in another room. He was in a radio room, and he was recording it, and he listened to it, and he thought, you know, that was a pretty good sermon, and so the service had ended, and he walked into the, to the, to the uh, church uh, building, and people were weeping. And he asked, was that the same sermon? But you see, he wasn't there. He wasn't a part of it. It doesn't mean that God can't use it on the radio or, or listening to a recording, but it is different than actually being in that place. So you can either say, thou shalt not go to the iron bowl, if it means not making it to church the next morning. I mean, remember that LSU game that ended nine, six, several years ago? I didn't go to that game because the people I was going to go with said that we don't think that we can get you back in time for the 7.30 a.m. service. Now, of course, you say, well, Andrew, that's, that's easy because you have to be there. But nonetheless, thou shalt not go if it means missing services the next day. Or it could be licensed and say say, uh, well, you know, I, I can just listen to it on the radio or recording. Or we can have our decision rooted in the gospel and understand what it means to be free in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is to ask this question. Does my leisure time serve me first or others in God? Because actually there could be an argument made of, do you know what, your time is going to be better served going with Jim and having that conversation that you need to have with Jim for the sake of others. I mean, this is a really hard thing for me to do because I am so under the law. I mean, this morning in Klingman Commons, I was engaging in a conversation that I really needed to have with somebody. It was edifying and we just needed to talk about something. And I knew that my Sunday school class was drawing near. And so, of course, what my heart and my mind is saying is you have to go. You have to go right now and get there on time. But actually, the liberty that God has given me as a believer meant what? What was the most important thing I was doing in that moment? Being with that person. And so, when my notes fall down... And so, does the time that God has given us, do we understand that it's me first or others and God? And I think that this is especially hard for us as believers, and maybe even a little bit more for men than women, Because I know that when Father's Day comes around, Lauren will ask me, Andrew, what do you want for Father's Day? And I'll respond to be left alone. (laughs) Which is what? The complete opposite of what Paul is saying here. When he says in chapter 11, verse 1, which really completes his thought, and I should have included it, but he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's a bold claim, isn't it? Could you say to somebody, you should do what I do? I don't know about that. But be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Because Paul's life was one given wholly over for the sake of other people. Everything he said and did, he asked, is it for the good of my neighbor? Does it edify them? Does it encourage them? There is no such thing as my time. There is only God's time, which is why I said, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything I have, whether that be time, money, everything that I have, it belongs to God. And so it needs to be used for the edification of others, for the good of my neighbors, but above all, for the glory of God. And so... I will close with this great story, which I think illustrates it perfectly. And I I don't mean to be irreverent, but I think it's a good one. And that is when Charles Spurgeon was walking through the St. James area of London one day, everybody knew who Spurgeon was because he was a very unattractive man. If you've ever seen Spurgeon, he was a singular looking man. And he was famous as a preacher. Everyone knew him. And as he was walking along over by a men's club in St. James, one of the members had walked out and had only taken a few puffs off a cigar and discarded it on the sidewalk. And a little 8-year-old boy ran up and put it in his mouth and began to puff on it. And there he saw above him the the shadow of Spurgeon. And Spurgeon looked down at this 8-year-old boy and he said, Young man, can you smoke that cigar to the glory of God? And the little boy said, no, sir, Mr. Spurgeon, I cannot, to which sir Spurgeon responded, well, I can give it here. <laughs> uh, do you understand the freedom and liberty that the gospel brings for the good of your neighbor, but also for the glory of God? Let us pray. Uh, Lord, uh, this life is very complicated, and we make it even more so with all the stuff that we have in our lives. Lord, we do pray for a more simple life, and the way that that happens is to keep you at the center of it all and to care a lot more about what you think rather than what the world thinks. And, Lord, we do pray that we would, uh, in our lives, understand that everything that we have is from you and that we would not press home our advantage, but that we would act and behave in such a way that would be for the good of our neighbors and would be for the glorification of God, which is the salvation of the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.